is chilling truth. And that's why I just tighten up my mother. I didn't feel that I had to face what I had done ever. He killed 33 times. I'm a king, man. I decide who does what and where they do it at. Okay, so next time you see me. But continue to talk about your Vans, not a Vans book. Why don't you put the headphones on so that yeah, I that can, I know you're recording? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I didn't know you were recording yet. Yeah. <clears throat> no, you're saying that I was wearing a thick flannel. I just I'm wearing a thin. It's a nice snap, shirt, but, but but it is a Vans. Um, I I don't want to give a Vans plug because. Like I, I, I own a shit ton of Vans shirts from when I worked there. Um, That's how we met. That's our meet cute. It is Vans because we worked there. The, the, together. I, I don't think anybody listening ever knew that. We never really. Yeah, we met because we both uh, made some weird decisions that ended up us working at the mall in our twenties and thirties. So. You were not thirties. Chill the fuck out. Um, oh, late twenties and early twenties. Sorry. But um, yeah, no, you were my box bitch on that regard. Yeah, and then I also became your boss, bitch. If you remember that, uh, only time. because. Okay, here we go. We gotta get to the episode, so get yeah, your ego yeah. out real quick, so yeah, we can right. move on. Yeah, dude, not a Vans plug. <laughs> I haven't spent money on Vans since I worked there, so. Exactly. Uh, only Vans I bought is for my son. Anyway, we have a very lengthy episode to get to. So, are you ready to jump on into, uh, the Sierra Nevada mountains? I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously not, because we're just like so willing to rant in different directions that aren't getting to the point, and we have a long point. Okay. Anyway, so welcome to the Chilling Truth, everybody. Hey, everybody. That's Johnny. Oh, we didn't agree. I thought we agreed on that was going to be the new intro. That wasn't it. We never talked about that. Oh, okay. My bad. (laughs) That must have been your other podcast that you talked about (laughs) that on. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) anyway today is part two of the donner party and it's gonna get a little brutal on this episode it's gonna get a little bloody a little bit so uh do you want me to start off or are you good to read oh yeah dude i'll fucking i'll take it i'll take it away Uh, great let's uh we left off with the donner party realizing they were stuck uh, in the Sierra Nevada, or no, 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 that's not where we left off. Where no, we we, we made it across the salt flats, homie. Didn't we? Yeah, yeah. We left off with them making it across the Salt Lake Valley. So they, we left off with them getting to the end of Hastings Cutoff. Yeah, and that's where we're picking up. So this happened to be on September twenty sixth. So that's right. Is- <laughs> so they reached the end of Hastings Cutoff, right? So remember, right. Hastings Cutoff was, you know, this uh, route that it, only Hastings knew of. It wasn't the. It was supposed route. to be a shortcut. Yes. So September September twenty sixth, they reached the end of this cutoff, which later turned out to be an unnecessary one hundred and twenty five mile <laughs> detour. So not only was it not shorter, it was one hundred and twenty five miles longer on a wagon. In, in on a wagon pulled by ox on a wagon <laughs> yeah so i don't know uh, why i said it that way it had taken them 68 days to reach the spot after leaving the road at the parting of the ways on the little sandy uh some of those who had stayed on the older road had made it in 37 days 
In the end, so they about doubled it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So in the end, Hastings shortcut had added roughly a month to their journey. So it was safe to say people were pretty upset. Yeah, I'd be pretty fucking mad if I just did. Even if I was in a car, I'd be mad if I did an extra 125 miles that I didn't need to do. For I just did it for no reason. Not just a car in an extra 25 miles. In a wagon where you eat each other. <laughs> yeah, well, they haven't started that yet. I know. But we are about to get to the first murder of the Donner Party here. So, uh, and those frustrations came to a head on October 25th. Uh, on this day, Reed's teamster Milt Elliott and John Snyder got their reins tangled up and started arguing. Uh, during the argument, Reed confronted Snyder. Snyder pulled out a whip and threatened Reed. Uh, he then hit Reed on the head with the butt of the whip. Uh, Reed pulled out a knife and stabbed John Snyder. Some, some say he was stabbed in the neck. And some say in the chest. Uh, either way, John Snyder bled out and died right there on the ground. The uh, documentary that you can see for free on YouTube, the one that you pointed me to, uh, it's yeah, the PBS. I, I believe they were they were stabs to the chest, is how they described it. But yeah. Well, either way, he was dead, and yeah, everybody did. liked Snyder. Uh, he had a uh, back in Nevada. John Jay Fostick would get up with his fiddle and he'd bring a ding 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 ding. You know he'd pick it, and then John Snyder would get up on the wagon and dance for everybody. And so like everybody, you know they liked him. He was a cool guy. So everybody was pretty pissed uh, at Reed already. Yeah. So this is definitely this is definitely the turn of negative events. This is yeah. Th- th- this I I believe this part. Uh, of the story for me is like where I, I I realized all right, this trip's going downhill. You know yeah, I mean? it's like a bad omen right here because yeah. then they like they wanted to hang Reed uh, originally because you know that's fun to like it's like it was entertainment back then to like hang people so you could like watch him you know swinging around on a rope but instead. Uh, they decided to banish him, and uh, they sent him off with nothing but his horse, uh, which, I mean, I guess might as well have been a death sentence back then to be out there by yourself. But that night, his daughter snuck over and gave him his rifle, a couple pistols, and some crackers for the road. And then he just was gone. I feel like as long as he had a firearm, or, you know, I mean, we all know he had a blade on him, but... I would say <laughs> yes, he did have it. You think he I, took it with him? I would he say wiped that, the blood off. Yeah, I, I would say being solo on a horse actually increases his chances of survival through the pass. Like, yeah, I mean, I guess, I saw well, he's the there through the pass now. Uh, n- no, they still had to make it over the mountain. This is they haven't made. Well, no, it. I'm saying they're through. They're through the cutoff. They're through Hastings cutoff. Right, already, but they still got to go up and over. Like, like, like we said in the beginning, this. This was 500 plus peaks. Like it's just a giant like mass of a mountain range. Yeah, they're not even they're not even the thick of it yet. No. They think they're through the worst but part. To but to be on to a horse and part. solo through that treacherous terrain, I would feel much more comfortable than if I was on a fucking wagon. Not to mention a yeah, double but Reed, decker. Yeah, but Reed was also <laughs> he was also leaving behind his ugly wife and his uh, probably ugly children because if they took after his wife at all. Perhaps. So, I'm sure that wasn't great for him. Um, where, where do we leave off? 
uh, hard coop. Do you want to tell the hard coop story? It is rather interesting. Yeah, we can do that. So it's uh, kind of sad. Uh, yeah, no, another death uh, that is worth mentioning is the hard coop. Uh, he was an old man whose legs had given out during the journey, but with fewer and fewer oxen, he couldn't ride the uh, ride in the wagon anymore. So he had to walk alongside like everyone else. He even begged William Eddy at one point to let him ride in his wagon, and he was told no, uh, that he had to walk. Uh, so each night, Hardcoop would fall further and further behind, but after a while, he stopped catching up at night. He, uh, when told to give him uh, some food and help him, each of the men refused. The last sight of the old man was him sitting on the side of the trail, feet black, swollen, cracked, and bleeding. And uh, they just never saw him again. He just fell further and further behind before they no, no longer but saw that, him. But I mean, that, sight. As, as evil as it sounds. I think that's the like, most humane way to. I mean, that's how dogs die. You know, you just walk into the woods. And you just fucking die, and you're not you're not anybody's problem or burden. I dig it. I like it. <laughs> yeah. If only Sarah Keys had taken that advice. <clears throat> yeah. So by this point in their journey, they'd expected to be in California, right? So while the party was stuck in the sand, um, Paiutes. Paiutes added insult, thank you, to injury, and made off with 18 head of cattle belonging to George and Jacob Donner and Wolfinger. They also killed 20, uh, 21 head of cattle belonging to William Eddy and made off with the horses that Franklin Graves was trying to preserve by not going back to Hardcoop. Uh, some of the Native Americans just fucked these people over, but then, as we'll see later, some were very helpful in their survival. And that sucks because if you think about it, 18 cattle, 21 head of cattle, I mean, they probably could have survived through the winter the winter would if they would have had that food maybe i don't fucking know i mean it's possible i guess i i you know when you think about like even small game like let's say that you're a solo dude just out in the wilderness and you got to live through winter dude you could you could trap two foxes okay two foxi right and is that the plural of fox? it, it, foxi? it is definitely not but no you could you could probably catch two fox and then that would that would that would carry you over at least four months, if not. If you more. ate the bare minimum, yeah. If you just yeah, like, ate enough I mean, if to you, survive, yeah. If you like cooked it, dried it out, jerked it, fucking you know, like you know, like meal prepped it and shit. Like you don't need a whole lot. Yeah, you're um, not gonna be like unbuttoning your pants at the end of dinner and like leaning back in your chair. I mean, you so probably cool. will drop weight, but you are not suffering enough to where you don't have enough nutrients to hunt the next night or go find what you trapped or like our bodies can carry on, um, you know, on very little. Uh, right, but as we remember, uh, there's 87 people in the Donner Party, so. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. And morale is a big thing. It's not about how strong I am independently. It's if there's 86 other people bringing me down, it's going to be You're only as strong as your survive. weakest link. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of one of those things. So, yeah. Nah. Yeah. Yeah. No. Nah. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah, no. Nah. No. Nah. Yeah, no. Nah. So soon after uh, this, they trekked across yet another desert and uh, came to a hot spring. The hot springs stank of sulfur, but regardless, the immigrants dipped ladies in, let the water ladles. cool. <laughs> ladles? 
<laughs> they just dipped women in there and had them pick up I the thought water it was weird, but you know, <laughs> you and your type. Like, I'll go with it. <laughs> All right. So ladles, they dipped ladles yeah. in, let the water cool, and then drank it regardless of the taste. Uh, the Breens filled their water casks, casks, and pushed. Casks. Yep. I'm guessing it's a jug. Uh, and similar. Sure. Pushed on across the dark desert, the Eddies, still carrying their children, stumbled along behind them in the sagebrush. Uh, when they paused again, Eddie asked Patrick Breen if he could have half a pint of water for his children, but Breen, with seven children of his his own, uh, refused. Told him no. Uh, desperate, yeah, he's like, fuck off, dude. Yeah, basically. So desperate, Eddie grabbed a rifle and said he would have the water even if he had to kill to get it. And filled a bucket from Breen's casks or a jug, uh, and of course Breen let it go. Of course, because yeah. So they're they're getting a little desperate now. You know they know they're fucked. They should be in California. They know. Yeah, that they're they definitely turning into assholes against one another for sure. Yeah, but I mean. So they're it's just getting a bad yeah situation. So uh, a bit later, Augustus Spitzer and Joseph Reinhardt also rode into camp. They uh, they said uh, Paiutes had attacked, killing Wolfinger and making off with all of his goods. Doris Wolfinger was now a widow, uh, but it would later come to light that Reinhardt and Spitzer had used what some politicians call today alternative facts. Air I like how we both did the air quotes and we weren't even looking at each other. Of course. To do it. That's fine. So it was not the Paiutes that had killed her husband. Uh, when the last of the company had moved on from the Humboldt sink, Reinhardt had killed Wolfinger. Whether in the heat of an argument or in cold blow, we do not know. But either way, this, uh, they soon began searching for the cash and valuables the Wolfingers had been said to have had with them. So, um, yeah, it's fucked. It's pretty bad. Yeah, on October 18th, they continued their journey, going up Truckee Lake. Uh, they had to cross and recross the icy stream, taking the wagons across, maneuvering uh, around rocks uh, the size of wash tubs. Uh, they were worried Stanton and McCutcheon wouldn't return. I fucking love McCutcheon. Yeah, I don't know if we touched on that on the last episode, but Charles Stanton and William McCutcheon had gone on horseback. After. To, uh, it was after they had fucking uh, let Reed go. Like, they sent yeah, Reed on his own, and then these two are like, get... yeah, we need to fucking go seek out extra help is when that happened. Yeah, so they were hoping they, they you know, they, and then as if it was an answer to prayers, the next day they rode back uh, into camp, leading a string of seven mules laden with flour, dried beef, and other provisions from Sutter's Fort. Bill McCutcheon had fallen ill at the fort and been able unable to return, and Stanton also brought back a couple of Miwok Indian vaqueros named Lewis and Salvador to help the party. So, I mean, I guess things are looking up Donner Party. Well, late in the day on October 30th, they camped in a wide grassy meadow just five or six miles short of Truckee Lake, nine or ten miles short of the mountain pass that separated them from California. Uh, and this is when the real trouble is going to begin. Uh, when they crawled out of their tent soon after, they noticed a thin layer of snow on the ground. Like, knowing what's about to come, I feel a weight on my shoulders right now. You know, I'm not going to say that I can absolutely uh, relate to these people and their experiences, but I have been in situations where I'm on road trips, cross-country, middle of winter, 
I'm on my own. I wake up and either snow, like ice, like the weather has been uh, a certain way to where you're, you're, you are worried about the day's traverse. Like it sucks. So I can yeah, only imagine, imagine you have nothing. Be, yeah, <laughs> no, like you no like yeah, you're you're in a fucking covered wagon pulled by ox, oxen, my bad. And then you wake up in the morning and there's there's snowfall. Like that's got to be the shittiest. And not only is there snowfall, but you know that snowfall means you're completely fucked. Yeah, there's so much more coming. It's not done. It just started. Yeah. It, it's here for Literally. The next 6 months. Yeah, soon after that, the snow was up to the oxen's chest. Oxen are pretty big. They're pretty tall. Right. So, like, up to their chest, that's deep snow, you know? So but, I mean, the, the, they were trying to get them up the, the fucking craggy rock. They snapped their whips, cursing at them, but nothing worked. They had to turn around. Well, the women who had been carrying children in their arms through uh, the thigh-high snow were way too exhausted to continue and had simply sat down in the snow. Uh, some of the men had set fire to a, uh, a pitch pine, and the flames had climbed up the branches of the tree, popping and hissing. Uh, everyone began to gather around the blazing tree for warmth, because it was cold as shit. The next morning, uh, Louis Kesselberg woke up and began screaming. The snow had covered everyone, and he thought he was alone in the mountain. Uh, they had no other choice but to retreat back to Truckee Lake. Could you imagine not understanding how the world oh, works around you? God, you wake I up, know. the snow covers everyone around me, around you, and you just think you're by yourself. <laughs> like, what the Jesus fuck? Christ, it's so scary. Yeah. But it's like, this is the point we've been leading up to this whole time. They're stuck, dude. Like, they're here. There's nowhere. They can't get out. They're completely stranded. So the daughter party is stuck in the mountains. George, Jacob, and the other actual Donners are about five miles from the rest of the group. Seeing as how they are going to be stuck here for the winter, they begin constructing cabins. Pretty smart. Uh, yeah. Now, normally, these people were no stranger to hardships like building a shelter, but George Donner was doing it with an inf infected cut on his arm that he had sustained when he was trying to fix a wagon axle they had rec recently broken. Uh, we talked about it in episode one. It was like they're basically basically their first breakdown, and this motherfucker uh, cuts his shit. So no, this was like right before this. They had broken axles before, but this cut happened. I feel like they this were trying the to get up one. The, the rocks because there was only one really that was documented. You're thinking of um, oh, fuck, I can't remember his name. There was somebody else who got injured. I thought he did at the beginning of the um, trip. He didn't. Man, who was it? It wasn't Kesselberg. It was somebody else. They had cut their foot. Or something. No, I'm thinking hand. Maybe I'm just thinking wrong oh. part of the timeline. Anyway, it's, so, it's not important. He has a cut on his arm. Yeah, it's getting so infected. He, yeah, his arm's he can fucked. hardly do anything. Breens had found a cabin that was already built from another group that had to survive here, and others just set up uh, lean-tos against trees and big boulders and shit. Yeah, that sucks, dude. Out in a fucking lean-to in the middle of winter, freezing-ass cold outside. So Margaret, uh, Margaret Reed, who for all intents and purposes was a widow at this point, found herself in a pretty bad predicament. She had very little food, and she had her own, uh, she had her own and other mouths to feed, including cook Eliza and her servant Bayless. The Eddies and the Murphys were also in a similar situation, but the Bereans, who had nine fucking kids, still had a good amount of their cattle, oxen, and household goods. So they were sitting tight for a second. 
Yeah, they were doing okay, but nine kids, dude, that's a lot of kids. Well, you know, it's it, it, the times. Anyway, so the Graves had lost all their horses, many of their cattle, but they still had all of their oxen. Hard calculations had to be made. To kill all the animals meant that they would lose the opportunity to draw the wagons over the mountains if the weather turned warm in the days ahead and melted the snow on the pass. So they wouldn't have any animals to pull them if they just killed all of the animals. Right. Um, so even as it was, the lean, stringy meat of the oxen could feed the 81 people stranded here and at Alder Creek for only a matter of weeks. But... And it's still not enough time. We talked about in the first yeah. episode that, I mean, they were making a mile and a half every, how, like, I mean, it was like a week or two. They were making, I mean, they went, they went eight miles in six days right. at one point. It's just, they weren't getting anywhere. So the other thing that had to be worked through before anyone slaughtered any livestock was that the Breens and the Graves likely had a half dozen oxen each, but the Murphys had fewer. The Eddies had only one, and Margaret Reed, with five children crowded into her half of the double cabin, had none. Uh, if something weren't done to equalize the situation, she and her children were going to die here, and far sooner than the rest of them, because they were yeah, going to go after fairness. You know, they were already like, you know, you didn't bring this, you're not prepared, my family needs to eat, <laughs> fuck you, I got nine goddamn Time. kids. Times were different, man. Yeah. I mean, there was little empathy for things like that but they did end up she bought a couple did a couple ious and she ended up with a few i didn't put it in here because it well, was just I, like you know, there's a lot of oxen talk we just did a whole oxen segment there so you're welcome just, no one here is, i know you guys <laughs> yeah like when's the last time you fucking last you know listen to something about oxen like oxen when's the last time you listened to t- when's the last time you listened to two men who've never even been near an oxen talk about oxen for like two and a half minutes straight so, what was your last point? I was going to say something, and then I lost it. No, I was saying they. she had bought some from a couple of them, and they kind of divided it up, but not without payment. Like, she mm. had to pay them. I mean, I get it. It's fair. I mean, look, these, these are the same people that, like, invented you reap what you sow thing, you know? So, it's like, whatever. Yeah, you I mean... You get. I I got I can't help but think with the way that Reed was if it was him and Margaret in that situation and somebody else needed oxen he would like stick his nose up at him and be like I'm not giving you an oxen have you seen my wagon Well no I mean I got to the point where yeah I could easily see any of them just willfully watching another family die because yeah, this was survival of the fittest yeah. time This is like you didn't do it like like whatever dude we're good we're good here on this side of the camp I'm just going to ignore your moans for hunger. <laughs> so while at the lake camp, Franklin Graves, who was the oldest in the camp, didn't want to see his family die here. So he gathered up some supplies and tried to trek the mountains himself along with a couple of others. Yeah, well, Franklin Graves was like, fuck this. I'm not dying here. I'm not going to watch my family die. We're getting over the mountains. And uh, yeah, he tried and then they didn't get very far. And they well, had to turn back. Exactly. So after he decided only women without children, because he uh, after mothers carrying his children could go no he he could go no further, they turned back. So after that, he decided only women without children could accompany him and a few other men, including William, Eddie, and Jay Fosdick, <clears throat> who was his son-in-law. Uh, but again, on the other side of the lake, they encountered ten feet of fresh fucking snow, which they promptly sank up uh, into up to their thighs. So, again, they staggered back into the camp. 
Um, William Eddy, though. Dude, this story is insane. Did they talk about the bear in the documentary? I don't believe they brought the bear up in the documentary. I, I, I'd have to rewatch it, but I don't remember it. This is in the book, and different stars above. Again, I can't recommend that book enough. It's so fucking good. If you like to read or if you have time to read, just buy it. It's like $11. The fact that this guy books. killed this... Yeah, I don't want to... Yeah, let's get insane. into it. I want to get into the bear. So, it's fucking crazy. So William Eddy, uh, he borrowed William Foster's rifle and tried to hunt. Although there were no deer at this elevation, he did manage to kill an owl, a couple coyotes, um, and other game that kept them fed a little bit more. Um, on November 14th, though... Eddie got lucky and came across a fucking grizzly bear. This dude's digging for roots in an exposed meadow about three miles northeast of the lake camp. He leveled his musket, took a long shot, and struck the bear. But a grizzly is a hard animal to bring down. Even with a high-caliber bullet fired from modern rifles, let alone a single lead ball propelled by black powder back in those days, um, it was extremely difficult to... to, I mean, usually... For those of you that aren't familiar with grizzly bears, when they do find a dead bear or come across a bear where they have to put it down, uh, it's not uncommon to find four or five uh, like slugs or like 44 or 45 uh, at, like magnum fucking rounds in them that were fired off before because they encountered a human like it's you know you know you know quite a bit about bears you showed us that on the bigfoot episode we did a while back where you went on a pretty long tangent about I? how to escape bears podcast. so i want everyone to go back and listen to that episode and then i want you to understand that <laughs> yes, i know please. nothing about escaping from a fucking bear you, you talked about how you can run up a hill or down a hill or yeah something. no you like <laughs> ideally i'm not saying you can outrun we a can't bear get into ever. it now we have so much to talk about but yeah go so listen anyway, to the big motherfuckers episode. this dude finds yeah, a bear this is fucking crazy man this is wild so the bear irritated more than wounded turned and charged a skilled hunter eddie had put an extra ball in his mouth as a precaution he quickly removed it reloaded the barrel with powder rammed the ball home and then stepped behind a tree as the bear closed on him and began to round the tree, Eddie struck the barrel of the rifle to the animal's chest and fired again. Uh, this time, the bear trum- uh, tumbled into the snow. Eddie grabbed and uh, grabbed a stout stick, <laughs> fucking wild. jumped on the fucking bear, and began to beat it. it just beat it about beat it in death. its head to make sure that it was dead. Like just beating the shit just out of this bear's beat head. Beat it to death with a that stick. night. While uh, well after dark, Eddie and Franklin Graves dragged the carcass into camp behind a pair of the Graves' last few living oxen. Uh, I never like to say like this generation's better, that generation's better, but this ge- our generation could never do that. With, no, these to are kill these are men's 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 men. So these are the manly men. This is like man to beat a bear to death with a stick, basically. Yeah. It's crazy, so, dude. The Eddies shared the bear meat with the Fosters, Graves, and Reeds, and for all of them, it was a godsend. Uh, but with so many mouths and stomachs to satisfy, the bounty it provided was nearly gone within a few days. And I, I, although it sounds like it went quick, a bear would provide so much fucking meat. And you got to think, it, uh, one bear lasted a few days for how many fucking people? 87 exactly that's so, a I, big I mean, amount of meat yeah dude. that's a lot of meat so 
So Williams Eddy, uh, a cabinet maker, essentially killed a 600-pound grizzly bear with his hands and a shitty-ass <laughs> musket. Dude, it's crazy. I mean, fed a fucking Such village. A so, yeah, dude. So as the, hunter, uh, as the hunger began to sink in and the snow kept falling, the party became more and more desperate. So again, Franklin Graves said, fuck this. I'm not watching my family die. I'm going to make some snowshoes, and I'm going to go get some fucking help. So, yep, and that's what he did. So Franklin Graves, Charles Staten, uh, Lavina Murphy, Sarah Graves, Harriet Pike, William Foster, uh, William uh, William Eddy, Patrick Dolan, a Donner Teamster, Charles uh, Charles Berger, uh, Jay Fodstick, and Mary Ann Graves would all go on this journey. So they all teamed up. Said we're fucking yeah, we're not gonna die here. We're fucking going out here. We're gonna. Get over these mountains, and we're gonna save everybody. You gotta remember, people. This is early, like 1846, dude. These are explorers. These are people that don't know the world. They are going out into the unknown. It's fucking Completely, gnarly. They barely know what a mountain is, That's much true. less I how mean, to get I over mean, they've one. seen the East Coast mountains, but they thought that you know, could have been the edge of the world beyond that for all they knew. So yeah, they all knew that this would be the final attempt. That everyone's lives now hung in the balance, and that the odds were heavily weighted against them. No one would be turning around this time. There was no reason to come back without provisions, and plenty of reasons not to. Returning empty-handed would only mean starving and watching one's family starve. So, uh, they also knew that uh, anyone who could not keep up would have to be left behind to die a cold and lonely fucking death. This is a cold calculations. You gotta make tough decisions when you're a leader yeah. like Franklin Graves. You gotta make those tough decisions. You can't keep up. Sorry, dude. Nobody's gonna fucking carry your weight. You're done. So on uh, on December sixteenth, finally a firm crust on the snow, the snowshoe party, which would become known by historians as the Forlorn Hope. Remember that. It's not a good sign for the name. So <laughs> your name is the Forlorn Hope. They set it's not out. A great sign. So even with their snowshoes on, it was a pain to walk. They'd still sink about a foot into the fucking snow, have to pull their legs back out. Uh, the few that did not have snowshoes were having an even harder time walking, some sinking in up to their thighs. Uh, I love snowshoeing, okay? I Not to the death, though. No, th- here's the thing. Like, I, I love it, but... Walking in the same same kind of snow that I snowshoe in without snowshoes, I'm staying on the couch and I'm watching fucking Hulu, dude. There's no like, there's no. If you've never there's walked no in like, you know, waist deep or deeper snow in just regular boots or shoes, it's a workout, dude. It's pain. You're not getting anywhere fast, and you're working your ass. It's fucking miserable. Moving on. And just in their situation, you're essentially starving. It's to the fucking death, and you don't want to be the first person to be like, hey, man, I can't do it. Like, I got to go back. You don't want to be that guy, so it's just – it's that much harder to, like, press on. So – But this next part is really interesting about the snow blindness because uh, I never even thought of it happening to them, but you've been on mountains and skiing and snowboarding and bullshit, so – Yes, and this makes perfect sense. So, you know, anyone listening that, you know, has spent any time skiing or snowboarding or snowshoeing or just mountaineering, whatever the fuck, um, you know, the sun reflects off the snow and you can get, uh, severe sunburns sitting on the mountain because of the reflection, even on a cloudy day. It's like a big old mirror. 
Uh, yeah, so you, I mean, you can get a definitely like a, a sun tan just from the reflection of the sun off of it. Um, uh, you know, things like chapped lips, dried skin, uh, dry, like I mean, you you could essentially if you don't have nutrients or like support and like you're in like a snowy mountain wilderness, you're fucked, dude. Because even if you had a twenty-two or you know any kind of hunting rifle. It's winter. There's no small game running around, there. dude. You're fucked. Nothing there. No. Unless you can kill a fucking bear with a stick like William Eddy did. That's the only way you're getting something to eat. So yeah, no, the the, the snow the snow is no different. It it creates um, a huge disadvantage when you're when you're out in it. So um, snow blindness was about uh, to ravage them basically. Snow blindness is when uh, blindness is when ultraviolet B rays penetrate the cornea of the eye. While the cornea uh, can repair itself, long exposure to snow blindness can cause permanent damage. It gives you a headache, it makes you nauseous, and the forlorn hope had no idea what it was or how to fight it. So Imagine that. Like, you're getting blinded, you're getting a headache, you're nauseous, and you don't know what's fucking causing it. Absolutely. Stanton... The first death of the forlorn hope was an unexpected twist in this story. Each day he'd fall behind, but he'd catch up each night. But one day when the group was setting off, he told Marianne Graves he'd catch up. But the last she saw of him, he was sitting on a log smoking his pipe. His body was found five months later in a hollowed out stump, probably trying to keep warm before his inevitable doom. Man, that sucks. Charles uh, Stanton was like the <clears throat> dude. Like he came through every time he like took on a task. He was like the guy to fucking complete it. Like he was a badass. Yeah. Like if I had never gone through it and I found out that he didn't make it, I probably wouldn't attempt it. Yeah, exactly. Because he was like a dude. Like he knew what he was doing. So at the lake camp, on opposite sides of the log partition that separated the grave side of the cabin from the reed side. Margaret Reed, uh, and to a lesser extent, Elizabeth Graves were engaged in preserving the lives of their children. So to stretch the little beef that they had left, to make it last as long as possible, the two mothers had begun to cut, uh, they, they began to cut strips from the, the hides of the oxen that had been slaughtered. They held the strips over open flames uh, singeing off the hair, then boiled them until the collagen separated from the hides and formed a thick, tasteless, but like reasonably nutritious glue. Uh, sounds pleasant, doesn't it? Sounds disgusting. Uh, things were even harder for the one huddled miserably in wet tents um, and underbrush uh, shelters, basically, uh, at the Donner's Alder ca- uh, Creek Camp. The robust young men who had wrangled cattle cut brush, driven oxen, and rolled boulders out of the paths of wagons for the Donners and Reeds for months had begun to die. Unable to survive on a diet of roasted mice and strips of toasted buffalo robe, James Smith, Sam Shoemaker, and Joseph Reinhardt were all dead. Uh, As he lay dying, Reinhardt had confessed to Doris Wolfinger that he had murdered her husband back at the Humboldt sink. So truths are starting to come out. Yeah, and it's crazy to say that like they were eating their robes. Like they were literally eating their clothes because they had nothing else to eat. Yeah. 
Yeah. So Jacob Donner was also dead. Uh, he had been the first of them to die. Uh, never very robust, he had descended into a state of nearly complete inaction almost as soon as they became entrapped. For weeks he had dwelled in despair, doing little to help himself or his family until finally one day he had sat down at a table in the tent, uh, bowed his head upon his hands, and sat motionless until he died, which is pretty fucking hardcore. <laughs> yeah, that's fucking gnarly. Just accepting fate. <laughs> so, one night while the forlorn hope was yeah, at dude. their pitiful camp, uh, William Eddy dug into his pack to find something and came across a small parcel wrapped in paper. Uh, written on the parcel was a simple message. Uh, Your own dear Eleanor, it said. Inside was about a half pound of bear meat. As Eddie ate, the rest of them began to ponder what kinds of choices they were about to face. And they uh, had no idea what they were about to go through. Yeah. So December 23rd. The 14 surviving members of the group were exhausted and starving. The Irishman, Patrick Dolan, suggested outright murder to feed everyone. Uh, given that no one had the guts to just murder anyway, he just, he just suggested they draw lots. So, you know. <laughs> just like a bad way easier. to decide your fate. Ironically enough, uh, the one to draw the shortest lot was Patrick Dolan and fucking self. <laughs> okay guys hear me out let's like do a redraw yeah <laughs> yeah that's not what i said I, 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 we don't want to kill the guy that came up with the good idea i might have good more good ideas hilarious. coming up so after this everyone huddled around dolan and looked at him uh the scared young irishman sat in the snow and then william eddy spoke up saying no one needs to kill dolan one of them will die soon enough and that death right. came on Christmas Eve. A young Mexican named Antonio was near the fire. No one even knew he was dead until his hand fell in, and he made no effort to pull it out. He was dead. Uh, by ten, yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, yeah, by 10 p.m. that night, I don't know how they got this time, but 10 p.m. that night, Franklin Graves, the originator of the Forlorn Hope, was dying as well. He told his daughters they should use his body for food so they would not suffer the same fate as he. Uh, at 11 p.m., Franklin Graves died in the snow, his daughters at his side. Soon after this, Man, they all huddled together. What do you do in that situation? Like, if your dad dies right in front of you and he's like, eat my corpse to survive, do you do it? Uh, do you, you like, do because at that point you you already know like you know it's not your dad just saying some weird shit. Y'all been through some shit, so you know if he's saying that like shit is real, dude. Not to say shit so dude, many times. I'd be, I don't know. I, honestly, it's hard to say, but I like to think that like. Well, of course it's hard to say. We've be never like, been in that situation. I'm just saying yeah, that I understand. Never are that it's possible that by the time someone is willing to say eat me. There's someone in the room willing to say, okay. <laughs> you got it, man. Okay. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's not about uh, anyone who is willing to resort to cannibalism as a dickhead. It's like, no, dude. Mentally, physically, uh, something happened for you to get there. You know, these people weren't crazy it's when they started this journey. You know what I mean? No, they got to this point, and we're going to see things are going to get a little bit more crazy here in a minute with Patrick Dolan. 
So, <clears throat> as a group, they found a way to use their body warmth and trap it in a teepee-like formation using their bodies as tent poles. This was something Eddie had learned from some Rocky Mountain trappers. Uh, but in William the circle, Eddie, coming through again, dude. He's always coming through. Well. He's another good guy. In, he's in like a story. fucking he's MacGyver, always, dude. Yeah, always coming up with something. Killing bears, making teepees. Yeah. Finding so, beef. So in this circle, Dolan began to show signs of hypothermia. Uh, they all fell asleep and were awoken to Patrick Dolan screaming. Dolan began to strip off his clothes and ran out of the tent. Eventually, he was brought back in, but just to lay, uh, just to lay in the snow. Uh, this is called hide-and-die syndrome, or terminal burrowing, much like the paradoxical undressing that Dolan did. 25 to 50%. Again, that's 25 to 50% of hypothermia cases have these two traits uh basically yeah, and i'm sure they were very confused when he was like stripping his clothes off they're like dude you're not fucking cold i'm freezing right none of them made this trek in the middle of a winter they didn't know the side effects of people you know getting hypothermia but basically when you have hypothermia your body temperature is dropping but at the late stages your blood vessels that were closed to keep your core warm open back up and you begin to overheat when that happens, you have an almost primal reaction and strip your clothes off. Um, and we were talking about this the other day. Um, while this is happening, you're also going through delirium. And it just, you yeah, because are completely you're starving unaware. You're just oblivious to how real your actions and your behavior are. So you end up just kind of like sitting in the snow and uh, stripping your clothes or, you know, like, like you know, your temperature... You're overheating, so you want to take your clothes off, so you're not realizing how cold it is outside. So then you spend more yeah. than seven minutes buried in the snow, Nick. You know, half naked, and uh, and your 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 core temperature has plummeted. Thinking you're. I mean, think about it like this. Think about like the hungriest you've ever been. You're kind of you're a little dizzy. Probably got a headache. You know, at times that by like, I don't know, I can't, that's one thing that I can't relate to. I, I, I can relate to the struggle or like the, the want for something or the need, but I've always overindulged, man. I eat when I'm not hungry. I eat when I'm bored. There's a, there, it, it's a phenomena, uh, that I'm not 300 plus pounds. <laughs> Very good. In our, <laughs> our daughter party episode, I'm never hungry. <laughs> I grew up poor. So, like, anytime food shows up, you just kind of snag it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm that guy at Costco that just takes the free samples a few times. Just because. I'm not hungry. I just left fucking Panera Bread. I still want to take free food. Well, when you do get very hungry, you do get a little dizzy. You get a headache. And then, you know, imagine that by times like 100. So... The next day, while searching for wood, because a few days before, someone was cutting wood, and when they brought the handle back for a chop, the head of the axe flew off and was lost in the fucking snow forever. Great. Why? Just add something else to the fucking problem. Yeah, what else? Uh, But while searching for wood, a tiny mouse ran out of the tree. 13-year-old Lemuel Murphy grabbed it and popped it into his mouth and ate it alive. (laughs) Jesus Christ, yeah. man. So after uh, this, Lanyol began to grab people dem- uh, uh, demonically chanting, Give me my bone, while gnawing on their arms. 
Lemuel Murphy was the fourth to die in the forlorn hope, and they just rolled his body out of the circle into the snow. The next day... Now get ready, everybody. This shit is gets real. gets heavy. The next day, they set out to butcher their, uh, their once friends and family. William Eddy started a fire. Everyone separated into groups to make sure they didn't accidentally eat a member of their own family. You know, you gotta draw the line. <laughs> You know. Yeah, you gotta draw the line somewhere. So they first cut off the head, feet, and hands to make the meat appear less human, uh, which again is a primal instinct. I didn't know that. Then yeah, it's very, it's really interesting to make it less human-like, so that you can actually go through with it. I mean, I dig it. So then, same as they did with the oxen back at the lake camp, they dissected the torso and took out the heart, liver, and the kidneys. Um, the most nutritious parts. They put them on wooden stakes and roasted them over the fire. Those who didn't want to partake had a difficult time due to the smell of cooking meat. No matter what the meat, Mm. it still had a similar smell. Uh, As they ate, their headaches and lack of energy subsided. So that was nice. Their system wanted more, (laughs) so they ate more and more. They sat, avoiding eye contact and eating the flesh of their friends to survive. Can you understand or fathom how awkward that dinner probably was? It is a heavy paragraph we just read because these are people you've been going through the shit with. Yeah, dude. And now you're just and you just watched me eat your nephew, or just watched me eat this kid that we both watched grow up, or the two grave sisters just that you they just watched you eat their father. Fucking dope. Fucking crazy. I hope I'm never in a situation like that, but god damn, right. dude. So, um, so after this, they had the energy to move on. Of course, they're, you know, they got nutrition Sustained now. Sustained now. <laughs> so they Now's cut, the new, another montage. <laughs> well, they're not done. They got snacks for the road. They cut strips of flesh and dried <laughs> don't, them don't over. Don't say it like that. What, <laughs> dude? Everybody it's needs jerky, jerky on a road trip, dude. <laughs> stop. Don't say it like that. You're telling me you've never been on a road trip. You're like, I need to stop for some beef jerky. These yeah, motherfuckers. Of course I have, but I've never. <laughs> yeah. I get it. So they cut <laughs> strips of flesh and dried them over the fire for the road. There you go. They started their the original Jack Link over the, the mountain. The original Franklin. Oh, dude, they're ready to go. They had fucking Slim Jim, who was actually Jim, their guy. They knew. You like that? <laughs> I just wrote that. So yeah, it's very good. They very good. ascend over the mountain. Their shoes rotting off their feet because their feet, uh, they're they're swelling. They're bleeding in the snow. Uh, as they made it over the mountain, they removed their snowshoes and began walking essentially barefoot. But as they got to snowless ground, they had another obstacle. The bushes they were walking through were tearing their clothes to shreds, some of them now barefoot and almost naked. Um, As hunger sets in again, because they've already already fed the beast, you know, you're going to get hungry. So yeah, you've you've reset the system now. Like now that the hunger pains have stopped, you're stretching your again. stomach. Your stomach needs to be filled. So filled, filled. As a filled. Texan, I always hated how I say that. So <laughs> as the hunger set in again, Foster wanted to kill Lewis and Salvador. William Eddy argued against it that night. Whether Eddy warned them or not, or if they just saw the writing on the walls. Uh, Lewis and Salvador quietly slipped away. 
the, yeah, I'm sure they were a little spooked. Dude, they were to just the there to fucking help. These motherfuckers corpses. are crazy, dude. <laughs> These white folks be yeah, wild. Dude, we volunteered for this job. <laughs> so the next morning, like, Eddie and Mary Ann Graves set out for game uh, with Flintlock on hand. In, in hand. hand. Stop letting everyone know of my fucking typos. It's in hand. You Way know it's go. in hand. You're doing this to uh, taunt me. Yeah, it is fun. <laughs> so anyway, you know what it says. they come across a deer. Eddie weakly raises the rifle and shoots at the deer. Surprisingly, he fucking hit it. He and Marianne yeah. tracked it, followed the blood. When they found it, Eddie slits its fucking throat and they drank the blood straight from the goddamn wound. It's dun, dun, fucking dun, 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 dun. go time. Fucking metal, dude. I just, <laughs> that like, is insane. I, I don't know, man. The most Ted Nugent fucking scene I can imagine, <laughs> dude. <laughs> you know, like, it's, like, it's like the equivalent of like when Tom Green was like drinking straight out of the cow's nipples. Yeah, dude. The cow's udders. Fuck that? yeah. It's kind of like that. It was like yeah. licking his buddy. It was like, sh- like, sh- like compound like shin <laughs> break coming out of his leg. Yeah. Fuck. Did you say Tom Green? Yeah, remember? No, was it Tom Green? It was just such an old reference. I, like I heard it, I responded, and then I was like, "That's such an old reference." Did I hear? You're like, correctly? do I remember that? <laughs> like maybe, maybe I was thinking Tom Green, and you were thinking something more in this decade. Yeah, uh, it's a long time. Ago. Anyway, moving on. So. Uh, anyway, drinking blood from the fucking wound, hardcore, dun, dun, metal dun, dun, shit. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, yeah. that same night, though, the newlywed Jay Fostick died with his wife, Sarah Graves, by his side. Uh, when the Fosters heard of Jay's death, they wasted no fucking time asking Sarah if they could eat him. Dude, the Fosters got real into cannibals. Yeah, dude, I mean... They butchered his body on the spot and carried as many pieces as they could back to Eddie's camp. And even though they were, <laughs> yeah. uh, even though there was venison available to eat, the Fosters still impaled Fostick's heart on a stake and fucking ate it. There was a deer. Yeah, there was a fucking deer <laughs> ready right to there. be devoured, and you went with a buddy. Hey man, like how fucked? Wanted to dude. go to waste. Like how fucked? Dead. That's fucking gnarly, dude. Yeah, dude, the Fosters got real into cannibalism, and we're gonna see Foster. He gets, he, he says some more wild, stuff. fucking crazy, dude. But not to mention, yeah, like they wasted zero time. So like they just, as soon as he dies, they're over there like, so uh, can we eat him? Fucking like drooling can, and shit. Can, can we fucking can we, eat him? Yeah, is it, can, is it like, is it? Can we? Can we? I mean, if you're him? cool with it, like I'm cool with it. If you're cool, yeah. With like, it, so I mean, like, he's like, not. Yeah, you know, he's not doing anything else. You know. I mean, he's kind of just, so, it's honestly a waste if we don't eat him. Uh, and uh, it's very true. But there's a deer. So, moving yeah. on. As they moved on towards Johnson's ranch, William Foster was coming unraveled. Uh, he talked to William <laughs> Eddie and, and said they should kill Amanda McCutcheon for food. Now they're fucking picking people. Eddie said she's Foster a mother. With it. <laughs> yeah. So, Eddie's like, no, she's a mother. That's a terrible idea. Then he suggested Mary Ann and Sarah Graves. They aren't mothers, and Sarah was a widow now. Eddie pulled out a knife and threatened to kill Foster if he didn't fucking drop it. Like, it got He should have done it. He should have just done it. <laughs> he should have just done it. Yes. But soon they stumbled upon Lewis and Salvador lying by a river near death. William Foster killed both of them, then stored their meat in their packs. 
That's what some say. Some say they were doing fine and Foster killed them as healthy men so he could eat. The truth, we'll never know, but it sounds like either way, he deliberately killed them and fucking ate them. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, if you think about it, Luis and Salvador are Native Americans. More than likely, they were probably doing okay eating whatever they could in the forest. I get it. And he was like... I'm hungry. Yeah, I don't think it matters how they fucking word it. He killed them and ate them. Yeah, either way, he still murdered them. So, but as they set off the next day, uh, they fell upon the Maidu tribe who fed them. Maidu. Huh? Maidu tribe. Maidu? Yes. Well, then you spelt it wrong. No, I spelled it right. It's how the book spells it. Then it's not pronounced Maidu. Well, it's pronounced similar to... Just say it however you want to say it. No. I don't no, want to... We need to get to the bottom of this. The listeners want to know now. Google it. And I want to hear I'm not going to Google it. Google it and hear it. Okay, fine. Just keep reading then. Google it. I, no, I can't. I, I can't get past this tribe. Yeah, more editing for me. Nope. The, the listeners will listen to this weird moment where you have to Google this fucking word. Feels good. But they're about to learn something, so they're looking forward to it. What is it? Alright, here we go. Oh, hold on. There's a YouTube ad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <it's> fucking hilarious. <laughs> Alright, you listening? Yes, I'm listening. Everybody's listening. Maidu. Ah, fuck you. It's Maidu. Whatever, dude. I don't care. Maidu? Maidu tribe. So that's how I said it. Alright, whatever. Isn't that weird? Moving Just on. continue reading. I'm glad that we did that. <laughs> so... The Maidu tribe who fed them and let them sleep in warmth for the first time. I, I doubt they mentioned that they had two chopped up Miwoks in their ba- backpacks. What the fuck is a Miwok? Yeah. So, That's what Lewis and Salvador were. But this is the first time I've seen this word. They were Miwok Indians. They were Miwoks? Yes. Okay. I read the goddamn book, Johnny. They're Miwoks. <laughs> so I'll take your word so thank you basically these Miwoks they're chopped up put in backpacks seeing as how the Miwoks and Maidu tribes were allies it just didn't seem yeah maybe don't tell them about that part no I they I wouldn't honestly I don't think it's a good idea no it'd be a good secret so so they stayed there and they rested for a few days then they had to make their way to the nearest post uh, the Miwoks again helped them. They moved from Miwok Village to Miwok Village. Uh, you know, Miwoks, Miwoks, you know, all the Miwoks. Uh, after walking for so long, Sarah Graves, Marianne Graves, William Foster, and Harriet Pike, uh, they could basically go no further. They stopped and sat on the side of the trail, accepting their fate. Uh, the only one to make it to Johnson's Ranch uh, was William Eddy. And when he Again, told the men... coming through for the group. Yeah, so when he told the men that there were, that there were more people behind him, they went back to, uh, back to help them. The only way to find them was to follow Eddie's bloody footprints he had left behind. So, Yeah, that's fucking gnarly. Yeah. Um, the Forlorn Hope. So they told, uh, told of the other people stranded at Truckee Lake. So the rescue operations began. Okay, so this is hell yeah. This is where we get into the rescue missions. On February fourth, fourteen men finally set out for uh, from Johnson's Ranch in an attempt to reach the immigrants at Truckee Lake. Um, 
Is it? How do you say his name? Reason. Reason P. Tucker. Reason P. Tucker. Aquila Glover. So these two dudes led the expedition, which in time would come to be called the First Relief. Sixteen-year-old George Washington Tucker. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Not very creative. Such an American name. Uh, yeah. Colonel Matthew D. Ritchie, Daniel and John Rhodes, Riley Septimus Moutre. Moutry, very nice, very good. Several sailors, uh, a German with the nickname of Greasy Jim. <laughs> we talked about him earlier. Uh, yeah. Billy Coon, Jotham Curtis, and a still emas—I'm uh, gonna say emancipated, emaciated. What? What the fuck is emaciated, man? Like he's still like not fully charged. Like he's still like kind of sickly. Like kind of fucking not. You know, he's not in good health. Okay. Well. Not in good health, William Eddy. So the next day, Eddy, still too weak to once again assault the hike country, turned back with the uh, the pack animals. He did not know it, but both his one-year-old daughter, Margaret, and his beloved wife, Eleanor, were already <coughs> dead, their bodies lying in the snow outside the cabins at the lake camp. Um, the rate of dying at the lake was accelerating rapidly now, since February 1st, in addition to Margaret and Eleanor Eddy, Amanda McCutcheon's one-year-old daughter Harriet and Augustus Spitzer and Milt Elliot had all died at this point. So it's... Shit is just falling apart. People are just... It, yeah, they've, back at the they've reached their limits. They've reached their fucking limit. Yeah. Um, Plus the children, I mean, they're so young. It's just like, they had no hope. It's been a while since we've uh, described the environment, but... This is the wilderness. We're talking about like the beginning to middle of winter. It's Rocky Mountain with there's no roads, there's no trails, there's there's no food, there's nothing. You're on it's a wooden wheeled fucking wagon, a bunch of wagons, a bunch of oxen, a bunch of children. And you have no medicine because it's fucking 18 goddamn 46. People are going to get <laughs> sick with Temperature change, climate change, altitude change. These people were just not prepared. And people did it before, but like we said, but they left these on people time. took they a didn't road leave in the middle. A road less traveled. You know what I mean? Yeah. It just it was they were these guys were having to move rocks and trees and shit to fucking fit. Every step was a pain oh, in the was, ass. Oh my god. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. So can't even see. You know, we're talking about these deaths, and it's like, this is why. This is the environment they're in. So, when they finally reached the camp two weeks later, they yelled out over the snow, uh, and a woman spoke up and said, Are you men from California or heaven? So she was God just happy damn. to see anybody. <laughs> anybody. Tucker dude. and the First Relief went around gathering people up. They saw scattered oxen bones and human bodies half covered in snow and quilts. Uh, after gathering everyone they could up, they headed out. On February 27th, my birthday, they met with Very the nice. Second Relief, who were on their way to the camps. And the leader of the Second Relief, you ask... <laughs> None other than James Reed. James Reed. <laughs> He's back, man. Back from the dead, James Reed. He saw his wife and two of his children for minutes before he found out 
two more of his children are still at the camp, so he hopped back on his horse and rode to the camps. Reed went to each of the cabins and handed out small bits of food. He told them in two days they'd be leaving, and all who could should come along. Then he had another daunting task. He set out to dig up the body of his infant daughter, Harriet, and give her a proper burial in the soil. Because you remember, this is the middle of the winter. She's not buried yet. They buried her in snow. So once the snow was going to melt in the spring, you would have had infant bones on the dirt. So I just want to know why you read that in such a chipper, happy voice. Uh, I'm really, you know, the story is just so uplifting, I think, you know? <laughs> yeah, just, you know, burying an infant just really, it just brings a smile to my face. Cause I, I think right now, like, no, I think knowing what happens, this is like the light at the end of the tunnel, so it does nothing but cheer you <laughs> Yeah, up. yeah. <laughs> so. Or is it the, 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 you yeah. know, the rise to the fucking downfall? So, when they arrived at Alder Creek, Elizabeth Donner was too enfeebled to do much of anything for her five children. Uh, in the other tent, George Donner lay near death. Tamzine was emaciated. Yeah, you like that? But still healthy enough to get around. The three children remaining there, Francis, Georgia, and Eliza Donner, were all reasonably um, hearty, healthy, yada, yada. Many years later... Georgia would explain one possible reason that the children of the camp appeared more robust than the adults. For at least several days now, the children had been receiving more nourishment than that supplied by their usual rations of burned ox bones and boiled hides. And where did the nourishment come from, Johnny? They were eating human flesh as well. Oh, I thought they had, like, some Lunchables or something that they were... No, yeah, they the the ham and crackers. When no, they were they were they were eating the adults in the group. But that mm. being said, is it plausible to assume that the adults were fattening up the kids to eat them? Um, I like to think no, but I guess I like to think yes. <laughs> Why? Because it's fucked <laughs> Why? up. Why do you want that? I wouldn't want it. They're not witches. No, but they were like they were willing to eat their friend, their neighbor, their relatives. What does it matter? I'll eat my fucking child. I want to live. Yeah, I don't think you. I feel like you would feed your child before. Because you, you got to think. Let's go. Let's go. Logic. If I'm with my, you know, my hypothetical child in the wilderness, if I die, they're fucked anyway. That's very true. So I might as well fucking eat them know, and then man. make it. You know. Tough decision. Is that shitty? I don't think it was tough. I explained it very quickly. No, but you also don't have a child, no, so you that's can't true. really imagine okay. it. Hypothetical. All right. Yeah. So Hypothetical children are easier to kill than real children. Let's get to the second relief. Second relief left with 17 in tow, three adults and 14 children. A few days later, five-year-old Isaac Donner died. Soon after, uh, Elizabeth Donner died by her daughters in the snow. Reed and McCutcheon. So even on the trip back, they're still fucking. Yeah, they, well, they haven't made it out yet. Light at the end of the tunnel, man. They're not out of the woods yet. So, Reed and McCutcheon, you got to think like these like relief trips, like they were risking a lot just to get to where they got. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Reed and McCutcheon decided they needed to go lest everyone die. 
Uh, but Patrick Breen and his family said no, they would stay until more help arrived. They'd stay back at what became known as Starved Camp. For nearly Again, a week after Reed... Name. Huh? I was saying it's a terrible name, Starved Camp. It sucks. Yeah. So... You don't want a vacation to Starved Camp, is what I'm saying. That's true. So for... Yeah, so nearly a week after Reed, McCutcheon... Uh, and the rest of the Second Relief left the makeshift camp at Summit Valley. The people they had left behind struggled to survive in the pit that their fire had melted in the snow. Um, the hole had grown deeper and wider until it was 15 fucking feet in diameter, 24 feet deep, reaching now all the way down to the bare earth. 24 feet of snow, dude. Yes. 24 feet of snow. If you hit a soft spot and sink, you're just going to suffocate and die. So as the days... scary. As the days dragged on, Patrick Breen gave up on living, of course. For the most part, he simply laid on the muddy ground, staring up at a circle of sky above him. But Peggy Breen struggled to nurture the nine children. Uh, There, her own five, Mary Donner and three of Elizabeth Graves' orphans, Shortly after Reed and McCutcheons left, five-year-old Franklin Ward Graves Jr. died. The Breens had dragged the boy's body up out of the pit and laid it in the snow near his mother's and Isaac Donner's bodies. So, that was fucking heavy. Yeah. After the hunger pains began to set in, seven-year-old Mary Donner, the toes of her feet blackened by frostbite and the burns she had suffered after falling into the fire... Could not stand the hunger pangs any longer. She suggested that they eat the dead. Seven years old, dude. Yeah. That is terrifying. Several days later, at about four o'clock in the afternoon on March 12th, William Eddy, William Foster, and the rest of what was now the Third Relief trudged up the length of Summit Valley on snowshoes. As they approached the column of smoke, they saw that there were bloody bones strewn around the lip of the crater. They got closer. They saw that what it appeared basically to be a woman's body lying in the snow. It was hard to tell, though. Elizabeth Graves' body had been stripped of much of its flesh. The heart and the liver had been cut out of her chest and abdomen, and her breast had been cut off. The rest of the bones were small ones, children's bones. God damn it, dude. Yeah. That just What a sight. Sucks. Yeah, I can't imagine the So down in this pit, so down in the pit, a circle of living children, pale and skeletal, sat around a fire. For several days, Patrick Jesus. Breen had been bringing them bits of meat to roast on the fire. One of the children, 8-year-old Nancy Graves, did not yet know that the flesh she had been eating was her mother's fucking shit. Dude, I mean, I, if I was going to eat my mother's body, I would at least want to know ahead of no, time. No, I would not want to know. You'd rather not know and find out later? I would not want to know ever. Oh, okay, yeah. No, that would that would be better, but if I had to pick. So, there was a revelation that when it came, uh, would uh, it came would uh, so devastate her that it would basically lead to bouts of sudden intermittent sobbing in her childhood and a sense of guilt from which she would never entirely recover, because that would fuck you up. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Anyway, she died a miserable fucking lady. Um, 
At the crest of the Sierra Nevada, the men of the 3rd Relief were stunned by what they had found at the pit in the snow. Eddie and Foster wanted to push ahead immediately to Lake, uh, to the lake camp to look for their young sons. Um, Charles Stone and Howard Oakley, they're only as hired hands. They wanted to return to Bear Valley as quickly as possible with the three surviving so everyone graves. Everyone wanted to just like say... Children, Fuck these kids, leave them here. <laughs> yeah, so they had the they wanted to just go with the Graves children and Mary Donner. Um, that though would mean that uh, they would have to leave uh, the Breens behind for what uh, to wait basically for another relief effort, uh, or for those who were going onto the lake camp to return. They stood there discussing it um, as if they should just leave them there. Finally, a vote was taken. All except for 20-year-old John Stark were for leaving the Marines. Uh, when his name was called, Stark stepped forward and said, No, gentlemen, I will not abandon these people. I am here on a mission of mercy, and I will not half do the work. You can all go if you want to, but I shall stay by these people while they, while they and I live. Hell yeah, another hero of the story. Yeah, good dude. So early the next morning, the party divided. Uh, before dawn, Eddie, Foster, and Miller, and Thompson uh, resumed traveling east toward the pass and the lake camp. Uh, Charles Stone picked up the emaciated baby, Elizabeth Graves. Howard Oakley picked Mary Donner, whose feet were too badly burned to allow her to walk. John Stark took charge of all of the rest, placing Jonathan Graves on his back among his blankets and other gear, and then carrying children a few steps forward, then going back for another, uh, and he did this for several fucking miles. Uh, Yeah, dude. Incredible guy. Yeah, so as the smaller children grew exhausted from floundering through the snow, they took turns climbing onto John Stark's broad back, sharing the ride with Jonathan. Which I'm sure was like a fun little fucking, you know... A little ride for them, because I when I picture John Stark, I picture big fucking wide oh, for sure. shoulders, big man. <clears throat> big man. So Eddie Foster Miller and Thompson arrived at the lake camp before noon. Eddie and Foster hurried to the Murphy cabin where they had last seen their sons alive on December sixteenth. They rushed into the dark cabin. In the dim light, they could make out the three youngest Donner girls: Francis, Georgia, and Eliza. Lavina Murphy was there, too. Gaunt, wild-eyed, and disheveled, of course. Her son, Simon, was there, and a startled and feral-looking Louis Kesseberg was there as well. Uh, But the two boys for whom Eddie and Foster had come searching were nowhere to be seen. Eddie confronted uh, Kesseberg and demanded to know what had happened. Kesseberg told him flat out the boys had died and been eaten. So enraged, Eddie threatened to kill Kesselberg then and there, but the man was so emaciated and uh, frail-looking that he resolved instead to wait until they got to California to commit the deed. As the third relief left, they left behind George and Tamsin Donner, Kesselberg, and Lavina Murphy. The last rescue team, which came to be known as the fourth relief, Fourth relief team, man. Four relief teams for this fucking party, dude. Yeah, dude. It's insane. So they were headed by headed by a mountain man named William Lagrosse Fallon. 
Uh, and I don't know about you, man, but any Fallon I've ever met, uh, other than Jimmy, for obvious reasons, uh, were like, like gnarly ass Irish dudes that like could get shit done. So I already have faith in this dude. Well, maybe he was more like Jimmy Fallon and they just had like a really good time telling jokes. And, I don't know. You know, so laughing really loud. This was less of a rescue mission and more of a salvage operation <laughs> because they knew there was loot to be had at the wagons. Well, on April 17th, the 4th Relief reached the cabins at Truckee Lake at a little afternoon. No one there was alive. Uh, with nothing they could do for the dead and no one here living, Fallon and his men rummaged through the cabins for the next two hours, searching for valuables. Which is like, go help the other people, dude. There's other people there at the other camp. Well, they probably didn't know this yet. There was a lot of wilderness between camps, I think. Trees and shit. Yeah, I guess that's true. But they probably told them when they left, like, hey, there's two camps, you know? Which also describes, like, the uh, the distance between these, you know, the Donners and the Reeds. Oh, yeah, they the were, Greens. like, a little like, under, they like, didn't even five want to camp miles. near each other when they stopped. So, yeah. so they would search for valuables, but finding little worth, um, like, packing over the mountains. So they really didn't get away with much. Then they set off for the camp at Alder Creek. So I guess they knew the camp was there. They just weren't in that much of a Yeah, they were just fucking worried about finding loot instead. Yeah. So uh, they found bits and pieces of human beings. Uh, in a kettle inside the tent, they found what they, uh, they took to be chunks of human flesh that was uh, cut up into serving sizes. Uh, nearby, they found George Donner's severed head, his skull split open, and the brains removed. Yikes. Um, kind of seems like they were just trying to have a good time cutting open the head and stuff. So they ransacked the Donner's tents looking for valuables. They were astonished to find Louis Kesseberg alive, lying, among a, uh, <laughs> lying on like a heap of like human remains next to a pan of brains and liver. Just living it up <laughs> like some Greek royalty. Like, fuck it. Like grapes yeah, in a fucking palm fan, just chilling. But they're like George Donner's testicles. He's eating them like they're fucking grapes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the men demanded to know where Tamzine Donner was. Uh, she had been in good health when the third relief left the lake camp on March 13th. She was dead. Kessberg replied, dead and eaten up. They asked where the Donner's money was. Kessberg said he knew nothing of any money. Uh, but they searched Kesselberg's person and found $225 in gold coins in his waistband. They took, mm -hmm. yeah, so they took the money. Then they began to threaten Kesselberg, telling him uh, that, that they would bring, uh, he would bring for this in Cal, telling him he would hang for this in California. Yeah, it's like, what? Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> pressing him into a corner and demanding again to know everything, uh, what had happened to Tamzine. How he had come to have so much gold, yada. So, Kesselberg poured out his version of events. That Tamzine had come to his door one cold night after George Donner died and said that she was going over the mountains alone to see her children. She had fallen into a creek on the way to the cabins and become chilled and died that night, Kesselberg said. Um, yeah, I'm sure that's exactly <clears throat> right. what happened. And he said that before she died. She told them she told him where her money was hidden at Alder Creek, and that you promised to get it and carry it to her children in California. Yeah, he knew nothing about any more money than that. He said. So 
Suspicious, disgusted, and frustrated, they questioned Kesselberg again. This time, they were rougher with him. Fallon told someone to get a rope. He formed a noose and looped it around Kesselberg's neck and threw him to the floor. Uh, then he began to tighten the noose. Kesselberg gasped and choked and finally cried out that he would show them where the money was if only they show didn't me the money. kill him. <laughs> so, That's what Fallon was yelling the whole time. Yes. Show me the money! Of over course. and over and over again. So Fallon loosened the rope, and after much delay, Kessberg led Tucker and Rhodes off into the snow toward Alder Creek. The next morning, they returned with $273 in silver that Kessberg had buried near the tents. That afternoon... The party set out for the return trip to California. Kesselberg, still lame from his foot injury back on the plains, limped along behind them as best he could and arrived late in camp each night. Several days out, as he prepared to make a cup of coffee, Kesselberg noticed a bit of calico sticking out of the snow. Curious, he dug deeper, grabbed a hold of something cold and solid. He tugged hard. And out of the icy tomb in which Reason Tucker had laid her two months before he pulled the frozen, blue-faced body of his daughter, Ada. Jesus from Christ. I'm not going to say anybody ever deserves that, but Kesselberg was a fucker. Dude, karma. Kesselberg. Both start with K. Ironic? <laughs> I think not. The government. It's triangles I, in the pyramid. Yeah. 9-11? <laughs> exactly. 9-1-1. Backwards, 1-1-9. One, one, <laughs> 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 it's nonsense. <laughs> so, a few days later, the 4th Relief rode into Johnson's Ranch on mules laden with salvaged goods and the long, cruel saga of the Donner Party had finally ended. And I'm sure they were all perfectly fine. Everyone went on to live normal lives. And uh, nothing bad ever happened to them again. Probably not. No, I'm lying. It did get worse. I didn't put it in the script, but some fucked up shit happened to them after. Yeah. But uh, if you want to know about that, go read the book. It's very good. So that ends our two-part series on the Donner Party. And this is officially our longest episode we've ever done. Is it? Over an hour. We, like, the good. first few that we did in the very beginning, I feel like they were pretty long, weren't they? Yeah. Well, this one's almost an hour and a half. But yeah, mm -hmm. it was fun. The Donner Party, great story. I cannot suggest the book enough. It's such an amazing book. Um, I actually, you can go follow us on all the social... Oh, no, go ahead. What, what is the title of the book? Because I think I'm, I'm not reading it. I'm listening to the audio. It's called The Indifferent Stars Above by no, that's Daniel not what James I'm Brown. Uh, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm listening. to. It's on YouTube, actually. It's the book. Anyway. There's another one that's really good. There's I can't one on YouTube. Called, but but it, yeah, it just reads it to you. It's like 10 and a half hours long, and I'm like halfway through it. It's really good. If you don't want to buy the book, you can also find the PDF if you just look up The Indifferent Stars Above uh, PDF. It's like the second or third link on there. It's pretty good. But um, that wraps up Donner Party. You guys can go follow us on all the social media shit. Uh, be sure to go leave us a review on iTunes if you like the show. Uh, we'll be back next week with some pretty gruesome stuff. I'm already started researching it, reading another book. It's very, very good. I sent you the info uh, text last night. So, yeah, thank you for the finger guns, Johnny. I appreciate that every time. Anytime, and we'll catch man. You guys on the Anytime and all the time.
<laughs> all that's right. my new, that's my new saying. You need time and all end. the time. Yeah, exactly. That's the same. Anyway, <laughs> we'll catch you guys the flippity flip. <laughs> okay, end it. Say it. Right, Say dude. it later. 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 <laughs>